0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: And you've been such a help to me because your faces are supporting me beautifully. Uh, there are a few of you who are having a certain few difficulties with some things I'm saying, but that's fine. I'm uh, not such a sick Al-Anon now that I can't let you have your own feelings and have your own difficulties without rushing over to try to fix you can i make this right with you you know can i find a way of explaining this thing that you will find pleasant no thank you (laughs) I, i don't want to do that anymore so what this program is about is about the joy of people on a common mission people on a common crusade And that crusade is not an external one, it's a a crusade of freedom for ourselves. Freedom to express the deepest God that's within us. We'll get more to that in the last session, but I was looking out the window and there's a beautiful house across the street here, an old stately mansion, but they've had these skinny trees alongside the door planted for decorative purposes and uh, they got out of control. So here are these spindly trees are nearly half again as high as the house. And, and uh, uh, architecturally it looks awful. And, and why did that happen? Because the people in, uh, involved in that piece of property never went to somebody who knew what they were doing in design and said that these, these trees need to be chopped back or eliminated and new decorative stuff put in there. Because right now the trees distort the house architecturally. But why does that happen is because we're all so caught up in our daily melodramas that we don't have time to attend to the real beauty within and without. And oddly enough, we're using those melodramas to escape from the real power and beauty that is us. So that's what we're going to talk about this session is uh, building our programs, uh, I got some help from Glenn, the guy that does the tapes he's uh, a <laughs> He sits there and listens to twelve step talks every weekend of the year, year after year and he's just a uh, just a gold mine of knowledge on the on the program. By the way, I need to mention to you one of the most powerful tools here. In the oral tradition, the the most powerful tool, of course, is the big book and then the white book. But in the oral tradition, we have the tapes. And the tapes are a tremendous tool, and my wife and I have used them extensively for the last uh, 25 years. Um, One of the most powerful is Chuck... uh, Chamberlain's new pair of glasses tapes uh, on the 12 steps but the other most powerful tool is tape of the month from Glenn which costs uh, ridiculously low $40 a year and you get a tape every month for 12 months and we get the best program in the country from a whole bunch of people Uh, these tapers get to put their heads together and say which tape are we going to send out this month to all their different tape clients and they decide on a tape of the month so very uh, we through Glenn or other people we uh, uh, you know alcoholics primarily around the country but now a lot of SA's are members of tape of the month and and get that and Glenn's address is out there on that folder uh... so you can join tape of the month and uh... Some of the critical people who helped shape this stuff I'm going to tell you next are from Cape of that month, and uh, uh, the one guy that uh, what's the guy that lost his son to AIDS uh, huh? Anyway, the guy uh, his son came back from Australia with AIDS, Ken D. yeah and Ken was uh, in a hospice at the time doing hospice work he'd retired so Ken had the situation of nursing his son and in AIDS while his son was dying he had very very fast growing AIDS and so it took him out in about six months and every day like Ken said boy that gives you a new understanding of a day at a time when you get up in the morning wondering if your son is going to be alive that morning over a six month period and then of course one of those last days the son wasn't alive anymore but what Ken contributed to us is the fact of you take and right out the word spiritual s-p-i-r-i-t-u-a-l okay knock off the s-p-i and what do you have ritual okay we build the ritual of this program totally focused on that we do not focus on becoming spiritual Uh, if somebody tells me how spiritual they are what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the same thing Clancy does I'm going to find a cup of hot, real hot coffee and then go over to wherever they're sitting and then just happen to accidentally spill the cup of hot coffee in their lap and just see how spiritual they are. (laughs) It's an instant test for spirituality. (laughs) (laughs) Because the guy that Clancy did that to lost his spirituality instantly (laughs) and started using bad words. On poor old Innocent Clancy. (laughs) So, So, uh, uh, that's where, uh, you know, that's the guy that brought out this ritual stuff. There's a tape on there now, the tape of this month is um, a guy that I've heard on uh, before a year or so ago, but it is so beautiful because then you see a guy come around the second time, and you see, wow, he's got a stronger program now than he had two years ago. I mean, I can you can hear the differences in it. So it just shows you what a growth thing this stuff is. And, um,
2: uh, yeah. Is it all AA, those heaps? Yeah, those
1: heaps are all AA. Uh, someday, uh, when we start filling up all the schoolrooms and halls in uh, Sacramento with essays, we're going to have an essay tape of the month from Glenn, I'm sure. But we're not there yet. Now, the way to, way to solve that is, is he's got a listing of all the old SAA tapes. So you can just get uh, a catalog from him of previous essay tapes. In fact, there's a... a uh, we, one of the reasons we have Glenn do this is I'd seen the importance of these... of this stuff uh, because of my own study of and so we worked out a deal with Glenn for him to be the archivist really so I turned all the early uh, essay tapes that I had over to Glenn so if you want to hear an interesting set of essay tapes you go back to the first essay conference in June of 84 in Salt Lake and you'll hear an interesting thing on one of those tapes Uh, there's a beautiful gal up front telling her story and crying And you will hear two clowns from the audience come up and console her and one of those two clowns is me (laughs) and i tell people to get those tastes because it helps them because you know uh, a lot of people lust after my sobriety well that's fine but you shouldn't do that uh I, I see it when we get our chips. They want to be like Sylvia and, and uh, Jim and myself and B and Catherine and be the last ones called up for nineteen eighty three chips. But you're not supposed to lust after somebody else's sobriety. <laughs> you're not supposed to lust after anything. But I you know, for the people who fall into that trap I say, okay, go and look uh, listen to June of eighty three Salt Lake Conference and you'll see where we started from and it's not very, well, it's nice, it's nice and dumb, you know,
2: <laughs>
1: and that's the way it should be, you know, we were rookies, we are beginners, okay, and this is how we, each of us have, who chose to, have moved from that time to this time, so here it says, practicing the steps and being a sponsor, we grow further by being of more service, building the ritual of spiritual i have been taught how to get sober and how to stay sober then joy and happiness are side effects but of course i wasn't under i didn't understand that at the beginning because i wanted i wanted spiritual and i wanted joy and i wanted happiness <coughs> you can't get them the harder you get them the harder you chase them the less you're going to get them they're side effects and so that what we do then is learn to uh, carry this message now the most profound example of that is the story of what happened to us right at the beginning um, I came in in uh, March of 83 in uh, Phoenix and that was the only group that is still that I know of that is still operating the, the California group had broken down and the New York groups had been kicked out. Well, we got, uh, and that group had just been changed from SAA to SA just before I got there. And Kent had joined because of an early Deer Abbey inquiry. And then came into the group and changed it to SA. Yeah.
2: What was SAA?
1: SAA, Sex Addicts Anonymous. And SAA and SLA, um, they have bottom lines, which is how much lust can, and sex can you get away with without being harmful, like, you know, I can do pornography, but I can't do hardcore pornography, say. Okay, that's their bottom line then. And uh, those two programs are for people who are sexaholics who can, who can control lust. I'm a, sexaholics of my kind cannot control lust. So I have to have this program. I can't handle it at, at, at all. Now they uh, they they can't. That's how. If they could not There wouldn't be anybody members there. And they're, they they can't. So that's how that happened, So what we did is uh, fortunately uh, I was speaking then because of my books and went around to different cities and got some groups going in those towns where I gave talks in for various reasons and then a group of us a bunch of us then came to Simi Valley in November or December of 83 that we've, I, we, you know those just gotten sober during that year uh, a 12, 12 of us from those four or five cities, five cities came to in the west uh, Phoenix, Oklahoma City, uh, Salt Lake, uh, Seattle, and Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, we came to Simi Valley, and all, and all, uh, all 12 of us had our original sobriety dates, but we had a common thread. We each knew, they knew each other through me, and then we all met together there at Simi Valley, and then when we got together for the first... fellowship uh, sponsored conference which was in the June of 84 uh, 11 of those 12 of us still had our original sobriety dates Okay, now how could that happen And first of all it's very simple God says hey I gotta give these guys time out or something to help get this get some sobriety going enough sobriety going also another thing we all had other 12 step programs so we knew what fellowship meant, and we knew the steps, and we knew the other. Whereas, so many of the people who had come into SA before then were not from another fellowship; they were just straight sexaholics, and it was hard for them to last. and uh, And there wasn't uh, the fellowship wasn't they weren't in touch with each other. Like we didn't know the names of people in other towns until we had our conference in. Salt Lake, where we passed around an address sheet so people could sign up with their names and addresses, and I still have a copy of that original address sheet that was circulated there. And that put each, that gave each of us phone numbers all over them, so men and women could call sexaholics and talk to them and help help them and get help. So we helped each other to sobriety in that early days. So the emphasis was not with. You, you say, well, what was the core of the program? The core of the program was, was as I recall, it was very simple. No lusting and help each other. So that uh, that's the best way I can describe how Sexaholics Anonymous got started at the fellowship level. as all the sobriety that all of our senior sobriety and essay dates from those groups in those dates. So that helping each other is the key and, and like i said in the earlier session this to some degree that's taken away from you by the diffusion of responsibility because there are a lot of other people who can help back then when there were two or three people in each town uh we had to hang close together there was nobody else to do it and and, and we called for help a lot and we called each other for help a lot and offered help to each other a lot. So it was, uh, to me, lust and service were the two critical things in that early formation. And of course that goes then right, uh, that's the heart of the ritual because it's, it's, it's reaching out, it's saying the newcomers uh, is important. Our primary purpose is to help others recover. So by circumstance as well as by inclination, the the thing was rooted there on on solid rock, and that's why we had, like I say, eleven out of those twelve people hold their original sobriety. And there are still some of those people have dropped out of SA, but it's you know for uh, sex, their their lives aren't unmanageable because of their sexual addiction, So that. Uh, I think I made. Uh, I, forget, I forget just what the number is. There's, I think there's a uh, of the of that uh, eleven who were sober in June of '84. Continuous sobriety. I think there's five or maybe even six still in SA. And then the others, uh, I think all of the others are still se- uh, all but one are still sexually sober. So you know. By some, you know, definition, yeah, because I'm in touch with, with them in one way or another. So, uh, and, but you know, in the last analysis, how do you explain it? There's, it's, it's impossible to explain. It just—that's just the grace of God. No, it's—it's it's like luck you know people who are well prepared and do a lot of work tend to be luckier than people who don't do a lot of work and aren't well prepared
2: but you better not take
1: credit for how good you are, how well prepared you are and how hard working you are because if you do you're stupid so how how do you solve that one? okay so let's talk about what good old ken t- tells us is the ritual of practicing these steps and i like uh, indian don and that's another tape that's in the tape of the month series we got to hear his program and uh... then out of it uh... indian don has a set of four tapes where he gave a seminar and um, a beautiful thing, and then a, a guy named Milt from out east is another guy that's on those tapes. Milt was a an alcoholic who woke up in this room. He was a he was a gunman for a gang. He woke up in this room and looks at his gun, and his gun is empty, and, the, and there are no holes in the walls. So he blacked out, and he doesn't know what what happened. <laughs> In fact, that's why he wasn't in the gang anymore because he kept waking up in the morning after uh, robberies and other things, and then he would kind of ha- he'd black out and drinking, and then he'd kind of have to surreptitiously ask the guys what happened, but <laughs> have to do so in such a way that they wouldn't catch on to the fact that he he was there, but he really wasn't there, because <laughs> it might they might be hesitant to give him the his responsibilities again. But uh, to me, I've always loved that story because it's such a beautiful example of us. We wake up and our guns, our pistol is empty and uh, we don't see any holes in the wall. (laughs) We're crazy. So... uh, uh, and not all of us are here. I mean, some of the people that are need to be here or should should be here, but uh, they aren't for some reason or other. But they're still waking up that way. Okay. Um, I've heard steps mentioned on tape, and I used to do it myself, or where I'd go through the steps and and tell you uh, how to do the steps, and um, I don't believe in that anymore because uh, the best guide there is uh, to, to to doing those steps is the blue book and the white book and a sponsor uh, I will tell you a few things that I've seen at each of the steps that I see um, that I've found particularly helpful or things that get uh, missed more. Uh, the first thing on that first step is more and more um, I'm of the feeling that that uh, almost every problem I find is the first step problem. At least part of the first step, uh, part of it, uh, uh, usually a major part of it is, or all of it's the first step problem. Because if when I really see that my life is unmanageable and that I'm totally powerless, yeah, then it's like seeing that okay, I'm drinking poison, and I better not touch any more of it lust is like poison and I better not ever touch it any more of it again. If, if I do, I'm showing, I'm saying, well, I'm not powerless over it. I can handle a little bit of it. So to me, most of our problems are first step problems. If, and if, if lust makes my life unmanageable, then I must not handle any of it. If I'm handling some of it, I'm saying, well, yeah, I can handle some. I'm not powerless over it, and my life is not unmanageable because of it. And I would say, oh, oh, tell me about it, will you, please? You know, and then tell me why well, you got that awful expression on your face, and tell me why the whole aspect of your body is like a whipped dog. Um, Vince used to say about himself. He said, I was a pulling slave to alcohol. I'd never thought of that expression before but what's a pulling slave well when the when the people well when the Mormons the way the Mormons got out here they were pulling slaves in a sense but not really but they were doing they did what pulling slaves do which is they hooked a you hook two Mormons to a cart and they pulled their carts out here and uh, there have been some poor people who plowed with the humans pulling slaves okay so that was the expression he, Vince used from the old days yeah, I've been, and on it flies to me I was a pulling slave to this addiction and any place that wanted me to go I went and I was doing it voluntarily in the sense that nobody had a gun to my head the addiction was got the job done on the second step the thing that I see in uh, one of the, the uh, tapes from Glenn did a beautiful job of this is gal was having trouble with a concept of God and he said well he said simple write out a God that you would like to have all of the ideal qualities of a God you would like to have and she did and then hand it back to the guy. He says, "Yeah, that's God, all right.
2: <laughs>
1: Only it's way better than that." And and what the point the guy makes is, we God's kindness and goodness and majesty is so far beyond anything we can comprehend that we can't begin to even write it down. So I've used used that exercise with some people. <laughs> had a little trouble with one guy he didn't get to the point he kind of got mad and told me that well he had a god bigger than anything I could conceive of and his god was a god of such majesty and awe and then I made the mistake of asking him well if that's the case you got that kind of god how come you're acting out
2: <laughs>
1: and he said well I'm not anymore or something like that And so he and I went round and round on that one but um, I'm not convinced. Uh, he's got he's got a beautiful ability to talk it, but I haven't seen any behavior that says to me that that he's in that he has contact with that God that he describes. Because it's one thing to kind of guess there's a God like that around, but the other other part is a contact with it. Because if you don't have any contact with it, what good is it, and how can it possibly restore you to sanity? You know maybe you see a God that's so powerful he restores other people to sanity but that's no value to you. And Vince, the old AA guy, was the first guy that helped me see that. He said, because uh, I had the kind of God where he sorted the sheep from the goats and the sheep went to heaven and the goats went to hell. And Vince says, hey, you ain't, you ain't got a God that's any good to you here on earth. He said, your God is just good for you on the other side. You need a God to do some good for you here on Earth, and so what? Uh, that I just opened my eyes. Well, what the heck do you mean? I thought my conception of God was all there was. I was so so egotistical that I thought what I knew about God was God. <laughs> and the idea that my limitation, my knowledge of God, might be a little bit limited. Oh, come on now! How can that be? Can't be so he opened my mind up and uh so finally, then and of course, that's an advantage I had when I got here is I had gotten more of a kind and loving God who's was uh totally concerned about my welfare my my good long term welfare uh not that I have a, a, a ton of money in the bank kind of welfare. <laughs> Some of you guys maybe will have that and can handle it. You see, <laughs> but so far this child has <laughs> not uh, proven himself worthy of handling that kind of thing. So, uh, uh, so I had uh, when I came, I had uh, I'd solved or cleaned up that problem some, but that's uh, a, a big part of that issue. Is most people don't have a god that they would in the right mind turn their life over to because it's a vengeful punishing harmful God with no power well why would you turn your life over to that so to me that's a, a, a real critical issue in that step that you're gonna have to work out with your your reading and your big book and your sponsor and stuff like that and then on the third step that's a tough step, but again, the Indian Don's idea that our circle really helps, but it seems kind of vague, turn your will and your life to the care of God, and and all of you have done that already. I can prove it to you. The answer is you wouldn't have come if you hadn't. Who in their right mind would give up a beautiful Saturday morning to come to listen to some old idiot from Montana talk who hadn't turned their will and life to the care of God? It's simple. Another way I can tell somebody's done a third step is when they start on four. No one in their right mind would do a fourth step, so they must have turned their will and their life worth the care of God. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: so that's how to, how to handle that, that step. But then the other thing the Vince said, he said, if you turn your will and your life worth the care of God, what's left? Of course, nothing. I turn my body and my mind over to and will, spirit over to God <coughs> What's, what, 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 do I, what do I have to charge of? Nothing you know? I can decide uh, what time during the noon break I'm going to call my wife or try to call her I tried to call her twice already last night and this morning left messages in the machine but you know uh, other than that I don't know much I got charged of you know, I'm talking to you guys. You seem all well, you got in charge of that and not really. Because if all of your faces turn black instantly, you watch this cat move in a different direction instantly. Because if all your faces turn black instantly, you know, I'm striking out. And I'll just quick say, whoops, what happened? And I'll get back in the bath. But... Uh, because your faces are all bright and wonderful I'll continue along the line I'm continuing okay who's controlling who? you're controlling me and it's beautiful I love it that's why I come here so you can control me and then what's going to happen I'm going to be one of the most avid listeners to these tapes when Glenn sends me a set of them I'm going to be hardly wait until I can get, get to play them so I can find out what I said because half of what I said I know ahead of time I'm going to say to you kind of because I've said it before there's a bunch of stuff that's going to be on these tapes that I've never said to anybody before because you pulled it out of me okay now who runs that I don't I got up this morning and what was the first thought I had this morning and uh, I'll give you the background on it is why do I do these tapes? I'm a writer and and a teacher and it is a charge handed me to God as a means of expressing myself and my nature just like an architect expresses himself through architecture. Okay, I express myself through written works but uh, it's impossible to do that in the 12 steps because they got a nice protection against idiots like me and that is you can't have something written unless it's conference approved. Okay. But I know that there's a loophole and that's the oral tradition.
2: <laughs>
1: so I know I can, I can write my book to you of what I have learned and carry on the message and do my part of what I have to do which is I must carry the message. Okay, I can do that in oral tradition to you. So over the last few years, as I've had this guy been chewing on my rear end a lot in the last years and uh, so I'm learning a few new things and I thought, wow. Uh, and I've been studying some and having some experiences and some of them very wonderful. And I thought, uh, about time to... To make another set of tapes, because I made a set in New Jersey and then I made a set in Cleveland under similar circumstances. And I'm glad I made them, because I could never make that New Jersey lust set of of lust tapes over again, because I'm I'm in a different place than that. Then I was just understanding lust in its depth and complexity. Okay, So you have to do this when you can do it, because it's like water in a stream. Uh, the water that's downstream from your mill dam is not going to spin the wheel. And so I said, okay, I've got to make this set of tapes. And so I called Bob and said, Bob, I want to make a set of tapes. I need a good, you know, a whole bunch of new good faces. And so, okay. So I come out and make a set of tapes. And you think, well, isn't it wonderful that somebody invited Jess out here? <laughs> well, you're looking at the guy invited Jess out here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with that preamble I get up this morning and what's the first thought in my mind just don't be so concerned about that set of tapes that you don't talk to the people who are there they're the ones that are important and the set of tapes are the side benefit just like happiness is a side benefit so that voice says to me hey buddy you address the people who are there and uh, so it is that contact that we gradually develop with the God of our understanding now I've had a lot of experiences with that that originally were somewhat disillusioning because I heard people get some real strange Messages from the God of their understanding in, in a different context than this, not the 12 step context. And I, uh, it made me kind of suspicious of the process. But now, what I see is, uh, and I got this from this morning meditation uh, yesterday, uh, is the difference between impulse and intuition. A lot of us have a lot of impulses which are not new intuition. Okay, how do you tell the difference between the two? And partly the difference between the two is an impulse carries with it just this almost screaming urgency, I got to communicate this to people, this is me and this is, unless I do this I'm going to die right here in this spot. Uh, In my experience, God's voice to us through intuition tends to be quieter, much quieter. And there isn't that sense of urgency to it. And there isn't the, uh, uh, it doesn't attract the attention to me that the impulse tends to attract to me. So uh, the point was uh, of the meditation is we need to learn this discipline of hanging in there and staying with it over and over and over again and, and we learn a, a disciplined way of life Now to, it was so appropriate to me to for him for that meditation to be speaking to a sexaholic like me who is almost totally a creature of impulse and what is more impulsive than lost nothing bang 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 bang. That lust comes at us from a thousand different ways, at first, especially. Now, because we're sexaholics, we will always lust. But the good news is, is as we practice our program and as we work more and more and get more and more focused on the real issues of life, the frequency of lust decreases. I, I wouldn't say that the situations of lust become uh, more moderated, because I still have, I still find myself having some horrible lust ideas that are very repellent, and repulsive to me, for a variety of, of reasons. But I have learned to just, pretty much, just okay, I accept it, and even not necessarily to laugh at it, but I can not be bothered by it. I'm working with a guy that I sponsor as a minister and he is continually horrified by his lust thoughts. And what I'm trying to get across to him, it is not the first thought that is a problem. The thirst lust thought is, that's my passport. Without my first lust thought, I can't be with you. Without my first lust thought, i got to be out there wishing I was alcoholic without my first lust thought I can't I can't get this answer so there that first lust thought is wonderful because it lets me be with you no I can not entertain it I can't have the second thought so but but by, by being too dismayed by the first thought We can can use our our dismay with it as a way of kind of cleverly hanging in there and entertaining it. Instead of saying, oh, that's a lust thought. That's my ticket to S.A. Goodbye. And that's a lust thought. That's my ticket to S.A. If I play with it, it's my exit visa from S.A. Because another analogy that I find is very helpful is this, this thing is like a toboggan ride to hell. Uh, we, got, we're, we live in snowy country, so you put a toboggan up at the top of the hill. As long as that toboggan is on flat ground, you can sit in there all day long. It ain't going to go no place. But you take that toboggan where there's any kind of incline, and then our thing a greasier and a sh- greased, slicker and a greased pig. You put that any kind of incline and you're gone. Now, if you got the slightest amount of tilt to the ground, you can stop a toboggan by digging your feet in and stopping it before it goes. So you, you, you can get away with a lush thought or two without going down sometimes. So the person says, well, I get away with lust every once in a while. And the answer is, yeah, you do. but you go to the bottom every once in a while too, don't you? Well, yeah, yeah, but I don't want to leave it. Hang around, or just get out there and get down. Don't waste your time, half measures in. Because all you get with half measures is nothing. Half measures avail us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. But if you ain't ready, get down. Just bust your brains out. So you do get ready, or die, or somebody shoots you, or something, or they lock you up. No problem. No problem. But don't bother us, don't come around. <laughs> We want people who who want this program. If I got to drag somebody in here, I got to drag them all the time they're here. And I spend my time, I waste my time. I can run with 20 of you or run with 100 of you having fun, doing like what we're doing now, easier than I can drag one of you. Okay, why would I fool with dragging one of you? I know why now, in the old days. 'Cause it helped distract me from my own program. It helped keep my wife from saying you gotta get a good sponsor. You know. It helped keep her from doing a lot of those things I didn't want to hear, but they, they didn't work. It was just short term fixes. So this program is merciless. You are either in or you are out. You are either free or you ain't. Somebody brought up something to that big. John, was that you? Yeah,
3: I'm talking. To you. I'm John. This is
1: in the... Uh, the yeah, yeah, come on over here, John. This is in
0: the
3: big book about
1: the Holy Spirit. Just sit right here, John.
2: Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah,
3: this is more better. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should be making my coffee. Anyway, <laughs> that's about what you're doing. Anyway, uh, this is in the chapter to the wives. It talks about a slip first. It says, though it is infinitely better that he have no relapse at all, it has been true with many of our men, it is by no means a bad thing in some cases. Your husband will see at once that he must redouble his spiritual activities if he expects to survive. You need not remind him of his spiritual deficiency. He will know of it. Cheer up and ask him how you can be still more helpful. And farther down the page, it talks about, uh, this is important if he gets drunk or or acts out sexually. Don't blame yourself. God has either removed your husband's liquor problem or he has not.
1: That's the line. God has either removed your husband's liquor problem or he has not. Or your it's-
3: husband's lust. Um, yeah, right it's the next to the last page
1: in the chapters to the wives. Thanks, John. Thank you. And uh, this is the question to ask yourself. Has God removed my lust problem or hasn't he? And if he hasn't removed your lust problem, you've got some work to do and, and dig around and find out where the, where the problem is. yeah
4: uh, I was uh, this refers back to that fellow that you were working with, um, and he has a hard time even you know that's a block of the loves count. He gets uh, you know, down, you know like he's already fallen, declutter. That used to happen to me early on, my, my uh, attempt to get sober uh, with alcohol and it's coupled with pornography so that's an ongoing addiction but just the thoughts would come and that just having the thoughts would be enough to say well I'm already I've already lost the battle you know and I really feel okay, like I've already committed the sin you know? okay that's
1: the that's the point I've got to make to you earlier your first lust thought is not losing the battle right the first lust thought is winning the battle it's using that thought to say to yourself, well, it's hopeless, I might as well get on the toboggan. It. it ain't. That's the lie right there. So the first thought is not the problem. It's the second thought.
4: But What I found in the years of recovery I've had is what I was really dealing with was my unwillingness to accept my alcoholism or my sexology yeah I didn't I didn't want to accept it and it was pride that kept me from you know accepting it but one, now I'm in a place where I've owned it uh, I realize it's a problem it hasn't gone away and it's allowed me to not get so upset when I have my first lust side I right. just say well what do you expect let's mm-hmm. get going on recovery you know let's right. get going on the solution okay so you're
1: saying okay we accept I am a sexaholic. Right. And, uh, I saw this guy uh, pulling into this driveway in a dark se- uh, street. So I knew immediately that that guy was driving in that driveway to have an affair with that woman that lived there. Okay, <laughs> how did I know that?
2: <laughs> I'm
1: insane, that's all. You know, the, uh <laughs> When I, when I first heard the story about the famous story in psychology about the Rorschach tests I I thought I was funny well now I understand it applies to me the story goes as uh, for those of you who don't know it is this psychiatrist is showing this guy ink blots for a Rorschach test and he said describe the picture you see in this ink blot and the, descri- the guy describes seven highly explicit sexual scenes And at the end of it, the psychologist said, he said, my gosh, he said, you really see things from a sexual standpoint, don't you? And the guy said, well, uh, why shouldn't I? You're showing me all these sexy, sexy pictures. (laughs) Where's the sex? Okay, so in the acceptance, the old timers in AA were telling us all the time. In the acceptance lies the solution. In the acceptance lies the solution. Now at first, it is a grudging acceptance. I have never seen anybody say, Hallelujah, I'm a sexaholic. Isn't that,
2: isn't that wonderful?
1: <laughs> no. You come, I've, you know, I'm at that place but you don't get there quick you go through you know your, your country oh I don't want this I don't want this why am I this way God must have slipped when his hand made me <laughs> this is perverse this is awful to have sexual images about people in your family or something like that this is awful someone like me shouldn't even live okay that's where we start Then we come to a grudging acceptance. Ooh, I guess I'm one of them sick, sickos. One of them sicko sexaholics. And i got to go to those ugly meetings. And then later on we say, yeah, i got to go to the meeting, it's helping me. And after a while we come to the point of saying, I don't have to go anymore. Because now I want to. Once you want to, you don't got to anymore. I know a guy seven years sober, one of my sponsees, and he's just on the bubble of whether he's, whether he really wants to go or not. And he hasn't jumped across from having to go and having to help others and, and focusing on improving them to all of a sudden wanting to go. Yeah. I've got a nickname in SA, it's the Bozeman Hammer. I don't know why they would put such a title on me, but that's... <laughs> I'm kind of like Clancy in AA. He calls himself the Court of Last Resort. <clears throat> He'll wake up in the morning and a knock on the door and go there and he sees a speeding car leaving and here's an alcoholic on his doorstep why are you clumsy? <laughs> where, where, where did that guy go? That dropped you off.
2: <laughs>
1: but uh, I've been fortunate. I've been able to say some things once in a while to somebody that kind of got through to them. And but I, you know, I can't fall into the trap of thinking I'm some, you know. Miracle cure because I'm not no, but nothing, nobody, nothing's a miracle cure. And funny thing is, the more I think I'm a miracle cure, the less chance I got to be one. I got to understand always who it is that's doing the work and not me. Yeah. Um, my question revolves
2: around um, acting out dreams. Um, I've been sexually sober for 13 months. And when I first came into recovery, I was having a lot of trouble with dreams. Mm -hmm. And then it went away. That was removed from me. And in general, I feel like, you know, a lot of the lust has been removed from me. But occasionally, I do have acting out dreams. And they really throw me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, okay, I can deal with it when I'm awake, but when I'm asleep, you know. So, what do you do with that?
1: Okay, very simple. Again, it's acceptance. The, the, if you will meet one condition there there's no problem that is if you will pray in each night for a night's sexual sobriety and then be content with whatever God gives you which means accepting some sexual dreams that's what you have to do us all because uh, we had a discussion on that, and you'll see some marks of it in uh, Recovery Continues. But there was some view that uh, uh, a uh, sexual dream or a night emission was a loss of sobriety. Some people tried to float that idea, but the fellowship would not accept that as an idea. But you'll see some signs of uh, an attempt to put forward that idea. And, and, but it, uh, the basic feeding in the fellowship was just, is what I have said to you. Uh, now, this is a fellowship where we got, you know, there's a, everybody's got not just one opinion, but each person got about five opinions of their own, so you can't say it's, you know, unanimous, but that's the feeding. So, now, one, one of the things I'd say to you is, I've had some interesting experiences with that in the sense of further along in recovery, I started getting, I'll never forget the first time this happened, I was in a situation that was in a dream that was about to be sexual, and just before it got to be sexual, I heard this voice, This is not part of your program. And I thought, My God, you know, because I'm a psychologist, and to see that the uh, program had penetrated to the unconscious and subconscious parts of my mind was just a startling thing I knew the psychological uh, importance of of what had happened now, I didn't think uh, uh, I didn't think there was that access to that okay and I've had that happen some other times and I've had to talk to other people that have had it. but then also I think I don't know how long it was uh, sometime in the last six months why I had uh, uh, a dream that was sexual and enjoyed it. Uh, now, it wasn't because I intended it. Now, uh, again, the, the people say, Oh, I got a loophole. I'll go to bed hoping I get a nice sexual dream every night. And I say, Oh, poor me, I can't help it and I can't do any better than that. And uh, I don't think that works very good. But, but you can figure that one out. <laughs> okay? Thanks. Um, I've gone through the steps there. On four and five, I found a thing that is just a tremendous idea. It really scared me for some of the fourth and fifth steps that I've done. When, uh, when uh, Indian Don told about his nook and cranny list where Frank, that guy who sponsored it. And, and, I, and you need to check your nook and cranny list, for God's sakes, to be sure that everything that you've done is out in the open. And then secondly, as sponsors, you need to ask people, or you need to tell people, as Frank told Indian Don, put down all of the, nook and the dark nook and cranny stuff. And then to help your sponsees when you're doing a step five, and by the way to me, all step five should be done to the, with a sponsor. To me, doing the one with a priest or a minister is just insane. I mean, they did that in the early days because they didn't know but uh, who is it who needs to know more about? Who knows every? Who is it who really needs to know everything about you? And that's your sponsor. Now that's my opinion, but uh, that's what I follow and every with everybody I work with and everybody I sponsor. But when you're listening to a fifth step, I think that thing that that guy did to Indian Don is a real important thing. Where you put out a couple of things that are really ugly like I talk about having sex with a cow or something like that and that helps them see Okay, yeah this is we're playing deep here, we're playing honesty what level of honesty are we talking about here and uh, you put out some experiences that are obviously hard for you to put out and the guy feels it and he knows oh okay, I gotta reach down to the nook and cranny stuff I gotta reach down to everything And uh, now one of the things that I regretted uh, a lot is that I, or uh, well not regretted, uh, he, not, we don't have, you know, it's not appropriate to have regrets. Uh, but something I believe very differently than what I used to believe, which uh, Chuck used to talk, say that you work the first nine steps once and then you uh, do, do 10, 11, and 12 the rest of your life. And I thought that's a great idea. And then Clancy taught that because Chuck did but, uh, Chuck's situation was so unusual. Uh, he was he just had a total instant surrender. And, like Clancy makes the point of Chuck had something happen to him that hasn't didn't happen to anybody else in AA, And that, of course, influenced uh, Chuck's idea. And then he also saw a lot of people uh, laboring uh, writing out miles and miles of pages of journals on their fourth and fifth steps endlessly. and Really caught in their own navel in, in, in terms of endless self examination. And he saw the fruitlessness of that. And yes, that's wrong on that end. But to, to me, the steps are, are our circle, just like Indian dances. And we'll go round and round. And so we don't need, to, somebody says, Well, I can't work as good a fifth step as I want, or fourth and fifth. I said, Fine, let's go on to, we'll come back again, come back again at it. Yeah. I'm Todd, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, sorry, sorry, that too. Sex <laughs> <laughs> I find it interesting in the fourth step in the 12 and 12 that in the, in the writing it says just how do we go about taking this fourth step? I don't find it coincidental at all that the next paragraph starts by asking 11 questions about how we misuse the sex relation. Yeah how and under just what circumstances did we misuse the sex relation, and then two paragraphs later asked eight more questions about how we misuse sex. They knew, on some level, those guys had, you know, the mother program in them too. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think... uh, Right. Uh, Bill was exceptionally tuned into it, and uh, we know that... uh, Bill was probably a sexaholic, you know, by his We're behavior.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he didn't
1: have the advantage that we have of having, having this program. But uh, the, the thing is, is yeah, and, and I, I didn't mention that, but in doing your step work, you know, again, you, you use the white book and the 12 by 12, so that you're, uh, you're getting all the guidance from... The basic sources that we can, because we know that program works. Uh, my other business is a program which emphasizes duplication, and it has helped me see and understand a lot better my uh, my, essay, my essay program. Uh, I was working with a guy. His wife is uh, uh, a very prominent person in psychological circles and has a kind of a therapy approach uh, to the 12 steps so uh, but uh, there was an openness about it that is really a tell-all kind of openness to it to the to the spouse and to other people uh, that is typical of psychology and I said hey To me, that's harmful, and he got in trouble because he didn't pay attention to that, but he said, well, i got to go with the process. And uh, I I just finally got to the point where I said, hey, man, um, i got trouble sponsoring you that way. Um, I'm still sponsoring him, but I expressed my difficulty. He said, well, you know, it's interesting. My AA sponsor with 20 years of sobriety said the same thing to me. Well, what I was so thrilled by that was it says that that AA sponsor and I were walking the same path. We were telling a consistent, uh, similar story that we could pin down to the book. Now, we're uh, uh, in our arrogance and egotism. Our tendency is to go it alone and to invent, reinvent the wheel. <coughs> and invent our interpretation of the steps and our approach to the program and the answer is don't do it because of two reasons first of all it doesn't work as well but secondly the the other big thing and this is where the concept of duplication has got to me that's not duplicatable too duplicatable I mean you might have a, a a pretty good thing to contribute in some particular step But if it ain't in the book or isn't rooted in the book, don't use it because it confuses people because this has got to be passed on uh, a thousand times below you. The person you sponsor has got to sponsor somebody else and under them somebody else and that process goes down a thousand steps over the next 50, 100 years. Or or, or a thousand years, you've got to you've got to stay with with what worked for the early guys. Uh, so we keep it keep it alive in that way. It's the most effective, and it is simple. And then the person sees you. Well, hell, this indie this idiot that's sponsoring me, all he's doing is reading this stuff out of the. Uh, A big book and the white book and the twelve by twelve. I can do that.
2: <laughs>
1: Instead of you know r- waxing poetic and going off to some brilliant oratory and 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 that was the weakness in Chuck's program. As I look back on it, is Chuck was not as duplicatable as Clancy. Is. to nobody. See, Chuck was in on the original founding of the Church of the Religious Science. He and Everett Holmes were, uh, you know, uh, helped each other a lot there. And Chuck would go into the bar and wax poetic, and he was known as the, you know, the philosopher. He had trouble getting people to listen to him because he'd be such a drunk, stupid jerk that uh, they say his philosophy must not be very good. But Chuck had this immense background and this immense mind. Uh, when nobody, nobody's got that. And sure, he was exceptionally beloved. But again, that's why I like the tape of the month. Because here's a cross-section. Because when we early did our tape work, we didn't have tape of the month. And we were listening to certain select people. So maybe five or seven uh, top, of the top A speakers were the people we listened to most of the time over 15 years. Okay, the tape of the month shows us a whole bunch of approaches. Guys like Ken and Indian Don and others, and they're all just doing what the big book tells us to do. Not all, you know, they're doing that. They're staying, staying true to that, and it's working for them, and it's working for everybody they're working with. And there've been a lot of attempts now to modify the big book in various ways because of errors that it has. And in fact, you can find quite a few books like that on your bookstore. Now, I was horrified recently in Hastings to see how many books there were. I think there were five to ten books in that area. Uh, And people trying to make the steps easier to handle. And uh, I don't know, I'm sure they're helping some people, but there's a, a huge flaw in it. And that's the flaw of duplication. And, and maybe they will start roots that go down just as deep. Fine. It's, uh, this is where I have to go. And there's nothing wrong with the other. It's just not for me. And it's not for anybody that, that I work with. Or who, the people who work with me are working out of that basis. And then this also lets us all speak a common language here. We all are having the same approach. So you don't go out of here saying, Well, I, I like Jess's approach, but I didn't like this guy's or that. This is not Jess's approach. I'm sure there's some individual flavor, just like a cook takes the same recipe and bakes a cake, and she gives it a slight individual flavor, but it's still vanilla cake, you know? Uh, Let's see. Oh, we're talking four and five. On six and seven, those steps, I think, a lot of people take them way too fast and too lightly. And uh, the book doesn't devote a lot of time to it, but uh, to me, that doesn't mean that it doesn't isn't worth a lot of time. Um, One of the questions that I use on on six, is I tell people to go to meetings and tell people in the meetings as strong as they can why they don't want to give up their old way of life. Why they don't want to be free of this stuff. Like I say, what, 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 the, hell, what the hell do you do if, you, if your life wasn't filled up with lusting and all of its related activities? Why would you want to live a life like that? In other words, tell the reasons why you wouldn't want to do it as though you were serious about not really not wanting it, and see how much stuff is there. In a sense, it's like in a debate to take the opposite side on the debate to, to help you see if, if there's some lingering stuff there. that's pretty hot in you. Why, are, why you aren't entirely ready to give up your defects of character. In my early days, I felt like all I was was defects of character. I thought I felt like a piece of Swiss cheese. You know, there's cheese with all the great big holes. If you if, if you take away the holes, there ain't hardly nothing left. And that was me. <laughs> you know, and and it was my defects of character that gave my life flavor and enjoyment and excitement. And lots of pre created people and alcoholics coming into treatment for alcoholism, have real trouble with that. Um, a great poet, Berryman, uh, John Berryman, uh, the poet from uh, Minnesota, uh, committed suicide because he was faced uh, the prospect of living life without alcohol. He jumped off the bridge in the Mississippi River there in Minneapolis. We, uh, he was married to a friend, uh, the daughter of a friend of my wife's. And but it's common among creative people I've sponsored some creative people and they think well my addiction is so closely tied with my creativity and it's that juice of the addiction that gives me my creativity and the answer is no it isn't it is that juice that interferes with their maximum creativity they, but they can't It's hard for them to grasp that. But by focusing on why you don't want to be entirely rid of your defects of character and focusing on how empty your life would be that way, it helps you see uh, what the the junk is around this uh, cluttering of the landscape that you need to get rid of. Because we, well, it's uh, there's a beautiful line in the um, solution on it. Each new step of surrender felt it would be off the edge into oblivion, but we took it. Okay, why in the hell will we give up a way of life that worked for us for nothing? A theoretical idea that, yeah, if I'm sober, my life will work for me. They say. (laughs) Okay, why will we give up the known of the (laughs) beauty of sexaholism and the beauty of addiction and the power and joy and glory of addiction? Why will we give that up for nothing, (laughs) for oblivion? Each new step of surrender felt it would be off the edge into oblivion. And then not just oblivion, but withdrawal. We've got to go through withdrawal to go to a strange land we don't know what's there. Why would anybody do that? Well, the only simple reason things got so bad where we came from, we couldn't bear it anymore. But that's not that's not the greatest reason in the world. And it isn't much to we don't have much to offer you at first, it seems like. Yeah, we got oblivion and withdrawal. Isn't that wonderful?
2: (laughs) Where do I sign up? (laughs) I I knew you'd be anxious to go on the trip.
1: (laughs) But you see, then helping that put that way helps. Give the weight to that step because the person is saying goodbye to their addiction at six. And then, you know, if you do, you know, if you do a good six, well then it isn't so hard to do a seven, humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. But boy, that six to me is a that's a big order. And and um I, I know I neglected it a lot you know, in the early days, both in myself and the people I was helping. And then 8 and 9, uh, uh, the harm I've seen done in the men's, just, a, just go up and vomit your, your guilt on somebody and then you know, you're rid of it and let them carry it for a while. My wife said there's so many things I told her that she wished she'd never heard. And it only took her ten years to get over it. That's not bad, is it? Ten years. Just a blink of an eye when you're looking back at it. (laughs) I'll tell you, living through ten years of it is not, not pretty not tough. So... What I tell my married guys to say to their wives is, oh, I did a lot of fantasizing. Sexual fantasy and some pornography. And get it as little as possible. And especially uh, what I've found, and I'm glad I've got this chance to discuss this point because it's a point that isn't brought out much. A guy will kill... Because his wife has sex with somebody. A woman will kill because her husband is emotionally involved with somebody. Now, guys don't understand that. And because they don't, they blabber about sex with somebody else, not understanding its impact on the, the female. So, there's a real sex difference there in how sex is regarded by the 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 two sexes male and female and that's another thing that leads to to hurt so guys can handle the fact they had sex with another woman uh... and then also guys don't understand how hurtful it is to a woman to talk about their emotional involvement with somebody guy doesn't mean a lot that much to a guy but it means a hell of a lot to the spouse so that sex difference involved in you know, the difference between the two sexes male and female makes quite a difference throws quite a lot of light on that issue and is another big argument for for some moderation Okay, and then on, on uh, the minute you understand steps as a circle, then 10, 11, and 12 don't have the same uh, uh, importance that they do because you're, as you work the steps in the circle you get a better 10 every time and you get better at 10 and 11 gets better and 12 gets better. The thing, yeah. Yeah, come on, Dave.
4: Um, just jumping back to the eighth step for a second? Sure. Um, situation involving actually a um, sister whom I um, proper actions with actually now, probably 20 plus years ago. But as I've been thinking about my eighth step more, I thought, well, that's something I'd like to make amends about, something... um, But it's not something I've ever spoken with her about. She has never brought up with me. And so I sort of find myself thinking, well, I don't want to bring up something with her that's going to be disturbing with her. She... I mean, I... I just feel kind of caught. I I want to sort of make amends to her, take responsibility, but I also don't want to disturb this other person's dealing with whatever happened.
1: There's a wonderful answer to that, and I'm glad you brought it up because it needed to be covered. That is, the amends issue is to me uh, 99% of amends that I see that are critical are living amends made by a new relationship with the person. So, if I were sponsoring you, and I say be very attentive to your sponsor in this, and your, because he can watch you personally, but if I were sponsoring you, and unless I saw indications of the contrary, I'd say, hey, I want you to build a relationship with her. Uh, gradually. A warm and loving relationship with her. And that is the overwhelming way you show yourself and her that it's a new day and then only if you showed signs of some real difficulty if there was a a lot of lingering if you kept coming back to me and oh Jesse that deal with my sister still bothers me you know if that didn't work then I'd then we could say well let's go a little deeper and see if we have to do something but by and large um, so often I see a lot more harm than good done by that kind of stuff. Thank you. Um, I guess you know ten speaks for itself, and and eleven that conscious contact with God that is. Uh, to me is, is just developed gradually and inevitably and and it comes by doing these kinds of things and, and to me the big thing that happens in us is uh, we wonder I, I used to think wouldn't it be wonderful if I, if I had uh, God's knew God's will for me well now where I am at today is uh, I, I can't begin to work fast enough to do God's will okay how come I can hear it so clearly today and I couldn't hear it before two reasons number one I got a ton of clutter and noise out of my head the noise of the ego self and number two uh, I've sharpened my perception for that little still voice of God so that uh, all day long I'm getting, you know, just real clear, just like that voice this morning. Hey, Jess, don't get so involved in those tapes that you forget the people you're talking to. That's, you know, and that's happening all the time now. But that's a result of the program, you know. Uh, So my only answer, if you want to hear God's voice more often, (laughs) the answer is just work the program, get your clutter down. Well, what steps is that? All steps. Now, another part of that, of course, is getting the power to carry that out. And that's got to come from God, too. And then on the last last one, is we have got to carry this message, and we've got to practice these principles. And if there's one statement I hate to hear is, well, I can work this program in here with you people, but them earth people out there, they don't understand it. What a bunch of garbage that is. If this program is really working in here, it'll work out there. In fact, if you can't take what you're learning here and take it out there, there's something wrong with what you're doing in here. And this program is to change our whole life, not just our life in meetings. We're winding down on on our time, but... uh, uh, somebody going to need besides to eat yes. <laughs> golly I just can't tell you how much I love being with you just so great golly dang it wonderful same out
4: here Jeff huh? same out here for
1: me wonderful thank you buddy
4: just my understanding of the reading of the big book non pattern psychology. Right? Uh, 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 if you would care to elaborate, I would appreciate it. Um, so we don't pray much beyond asking for His will and, and for us to carry that out. Right. As we tend to uh, make ourselves available in the way of service to others. Right. Um,
1: we don't pray at all for anything other than God's will for us, except for one thing sexual sobriety.
4: By the look in my
1: face, I tend to want to pray for a good day or a good grace or a good this or a good that. No, you don't think God knows what He's doing? He, he, look how well He treated us. Now, on a rainy day, I, I, I don't notice whether it's rainy or sun shining, whether it's hot or cold. They're all days. And one advantage is when you should have died and didn't you ain't ever the same and your days look different to you so i've had an advantage you haven't had yet but it helps me see so the answer is everything is beautiful guy called me up and say wife just died and i say, hey good
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I don't do that all the time but 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 it is something that gets kind of bad in that direction <laughs> But we had a uh, uh, kind of show you something about that is it, it, it distorts your perspective to be in that area that you're talking about. Uh, a guy called me, uh, son jumped out a seven-story window, 20-year-old boy, college student, killed, killed himself a week ago. And he re- heard a couple of my tapes. He talked to me once or twice before and he called. And we were talking and pretty soon we were laughing. He said, dang it, Jess, that's why I called you. I knew you'd make me laugh. And his son had just killed himself four hours earlier. Okay, yeah, if you're in the area of you know what's best for this world and for you and life, then you're, then you're missing all that stuff. You've got to be the other place. I have a
4: question, Jess. Dennis. Yeah, Dennis. The third step,
3: third step prayer.
1: Yeah. Is, is a
4: prayer for ourselves bondage and difficulties yep. do you Talk believe about that
1: about do you believe that has to do with uh, our addiction uh, God I offer myself to you to build with me and do with me as you will relieve me of the bondage of self yeah that's, that is something we can pray for I take away my difficulties the victory over them and difficulties I mean is the addiction it does not take away my financial difficulties okay that it hey thank you you guys appreciate it
0: gals I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve the best source for experience strength and hope for SA members please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes please show your support by donating to the Daily Reprieve